You are tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome again to Salvation is from the Jews, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, or seen the other way around, the fulfillment of Judaism in the Catholic Church. If you were with us last week, you may remember that I discussed the Jewish scriptures, both the written scriptures, the uh, Torah, the Tanakh, what in the Catholic Bible is called the Old Testament, and also the Talmud, the Jewish oral tradition that was handed down uh, according to Jewish theology since the days of Moses, but in any case certainly handed down for many centuries before the coming of Christ. And I discussed some of the ways in which in the Jewish scriptures, we find confirmation of Catholic doctrine. I want to continue that theme today with a very particular aspect of Catholic doctrine, which is a teaching on purgatory, which, again, as many of you know, has always been since the Protestant Reformation, since the split off in the uh, Christian church of the Protestants, a kind of theological bone of contention between the Protestant denominations and the Catholic church. And in fact, as a Jew in the Catholic Church, it's very compelling and very interesting to me that purgatory was a very explicit teaching from the very early days of Judaism, appearing both in the Jewish written scriptures and also in the Jewish oral tradition. So that is going to be the theme of today's show. I am very blessed today to have a guest on the program who has become a good friend of mine who is going to come on the show uh, in a few moments, and he will give his witness testimony. He has a very extraordinary uh, account of his conversion. Uh, I'll let him tell it, but it's certainly one of the most dramatic and compelling and faith-building ones that I've ever heard. And he also has some very direct knowledge of the truth of the Catholic teaching about purgatory from his own mystical experiences. And again, I won't steal his thunder, but I hope you're with us to hear it from him. Um, now, let me just before I bring him on, his name, by the way, is Marino Restrepo. And before I get too carried away with the story itself, let me say that he has a website, marinorestrepo.com, that is spelled M-A-R-I-N-O, which is his first name. Uh, and then it continues, R-E-S-T-R-E-P-O, all one word, dot com. And he's written a number of books, uh, including a very recent book in the works on purgatory itself. And there's also some of his video and audio up on his website. And if you enjoy his presence on the show, I'm sure you'll enjoy uh, hearing more about him from his website. His, his witness testimony also is a book that is available through his website. And if you've missed last week's show or if you want to hear this show again or any of the other shows of Salvation is from the Jews, I also have a website. It is salvationisfromthejews.com, and all of the past shows are archived up there as well as on the Radio Maria website. But first, let's take a few moments to look at the presence of the teaching of purgatory in Jewish theology, and in particular in Jewish theology in the days of Jesus and in the centuries preceding Jesus. First, let's go to the Jewish scriptures, 
There is a very explicit teaching about purgatory, about praying for the dead, that appears in the second book of Maccabees. Now, the two books of Maccabees were part of the Jewish canonical scripture at the time of Jesus. They were dropped a century or two later for reasons which would take us a bit far afield at the moment. But in the days of Jesus, they were part of the scripture, uh, excuse me, part of the canonical scripture. And even today, they're held in very high repute in Judaism, because if any of you are familiar with the uh, Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, Hanukkah, in fact, is described in the book of Maccabees. The holiday itself comes from the account in the book of Maccabees. So let me just read from 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, starting at verse 39. On the next day, as by that time it had become necessary, Judas and his men went to take up the bodies of the fallen and to bring them back to lie with their kinsmen in the tombs of their fathers. Then, under the tunic of every one of the dead, they found sacred tokens of the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear. And it became clear to all that this was why these men had fallen. So they turned to prayer, beseeching that the sin which had been committed might be wholly blotted out. He also took up a collection, man by man, in the amount of 2,000 drachmas of silver and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering. In doing this, he acted very well and honorably, taking account of the resurrection. For if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But if he was looking to the splendid reward that is laid up for those who fall asleep in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Therefore, he made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. Let me back up and say, uh, that's, by the way, the end of the quote from Second Maccabees. The uh, story obviously comes in the middle of the story, this passage. But Judas Maccabee and his uh, kinsmen and, and his army were in revolt against a, a pagan ruler who had taken over Jerusalem. So this is in the context of that warfare that his men had fallen. And he, when he found their idolatrous medals around their necks, he... Um, uh, uh, they turned to prayer, beseeching that that sin may be blotted out of the men who had fallen. He took up a collection of uh, charity that he sent to Jerusalem as a sin offering, and he was praying for the dead. So it was perfectly clear. His men had, quote, fallen asleep in godliness. In other words, they were saved. They certainly weren't damned. But nonetheless, it was necessary to make atonement for their sin. As the passage says, Therefore, he made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. What could this be other than purgatory? They obviously were not in hell because they were they fell asleep in godliness and that they were going to be delivered from their sin. But they obviously had some sin that they had to be delivered from. So it's very clear Jewish teaching predating Christianity by several centuries in, of a belief in of a state of purgation, essentially purgatory, that the dead go to if they die not fully purified from their sin, but still on their way to heaven. Now, this practice is still reflected today. The term is yard site, and um, every Jewish family, certainly mine growing up, and every Jewish family I know, uh, follow this practice, this tradition, and what it is is on the anniversary of the death of a loved one, 
There is extra synagogue attendance. There are special prayers which are said. There is a vigil light which is led, lit for them. In some Jewish communities, there is a fasting. The, the loved ones fast for their deceased relative or, or friend. And they say special prayers and they give special alms. In other words, they are essentially praying for the soul in purgatory. In fact, if I may step back and give a little bit of a personal story, uh, when I told my father that I had become Catholic, uh, he was not happy at the news and he was extremely upset. But one of the first things he said was, who's going to pray for me after I die? In other words, his reaction to my telling him of my conversion in itself was an illustration of the Jewish belief in purgatory because if he was in heaven when he died, he wouldn't have needed me to pray for him. If he was in hell when he died, God forbid, there'd be no point to my praying for him. Obviously, he was referring to this Jewish belief of the need of praying for souls which are deceased in order to enable them to get to heaven. Now, I, I don't want to take too much of the time away from Marino, but I will just read one final passage. This is now from the Talmud. The Talmud is the Jewish oral tradition, which is written down, as we discussed last week. And this is from the uh, book in the Talmud, the tractate of the Talmud called Sanhedrin. And I will just read the passage. It has been taught that there will be three groups on the Day of Judgment, one that is completely righteous, one that is completely wicked, and one that is in between. The completely righteous will be recorded and sealed at once for eternal life. The completely wicked will be recorded and doomed at once. Those in between will go down to Gehenna and cry out and rise up, as it says, and I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. End of the passage from the Talmud. Now, as you noticed, it said, those in between will go down to Gehenna. Now, what's Gehenna? Well, if one looks up Gehenna in a very kosher, if you excuse the pun, Jewish source, the website of Chabad, which is one of the most orthodox, conservative uh, religious groups that have a web presence, they're actually a Hasidic group, they have the following definition, Gehenna. Purgatory, the spiritual realm in which the souls are cleansed from the blemishes brought about by their conduct while on earth. Close definition, end of definition. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it is perfectly and painfully clear that the teaching about purgatory is, was not a medieval invention of the Catholic Church, which was invented in order to extort uh, money for indulgences from the poor sheep, as some of the Protestant reformers claimed. But it is a belief that is, first of all, it, it just reflects part of God's system of salvation for mankind, and it is a part of God's system for salvation for mankind, which was even known not only before the Catholic Church, but before Jesus himself in the Jewish theological knowledge from which Christianity sprang up. So, with that uh, introduction, let me see. Marino, are you there? Yes, I am. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I, I do hope that you can tell our listeners, first of all, how you became, if you excuse my saying so, a full-time Catholic lay evangelist slash fanatic, and uh, also what special knowledge or understanding you might have about purgatory and the need to pray for souls in purgatory. Right. 
Thank you so much for the invitation, Roy. It's, it's, I was enjoying very much your introduction and and um, especially um, such a strong foundation, you know, uh, that uh, we know that, as you said very well, that this argument with the Protestants about us just coming up with uh, the idea of purgatory, just making it up for monetary reasons, as you said, you know, for the indulgences in those times. And today it has been... Um, you know, preach all over, especially in Latin America, we have a big problem with the, with the Protestants, uh, arguing this and taking a lot of weak Catholics away with these arguments. So I begin by, um, by, uh, introducing myself as, um, a Catholic lay missionary, as you, as you called me just a few minutes ago. And, uh, I come from Colombia and I was born in the, up in the Andes Mountains in a coffee growers town. In, in a Catholic family, and I grew up with all the Catholic teachings and traditions, and espe- especially um, a very strong influence from Spain. My, all my family are originally from Spain. And uh, when I was 14 years old, I was sent to Bogota, the capital of Colombia. And there I um, faced the 1960s. In that alone, the influences of the 60s very soon just took me away completely from my um, parents' traditions and the Catholic faith, and I embraced all these uh, movements of the 60s, among them the Eastern pagan philosophies and so many other things that just turned me practically into a pagan for many years of my life. I was born as a Catholic, but very soon I walked away and uh, got married by a miracle because of the pressure of my family and in the Catholic Church I got married and moved to Germany to the city of Hamburg went to school at the University of Hamburg and became an actor and a musical composer and then uh, a few years later six years later I moved to California to Los Angeles I lived there since 1975 and engaged myself in the entertainment industry as an actor and composer musical composer I lived all around the industry, uh, just uh, continuing delving into all kinds of new age practices. Uh, everybody knows that California is probably the world's capital of new age, and I was there like in a little heaven. And the only one that will keep me grounded about the faith, not because I follow uh, the, the counsel of of this person that was my mother, that she was the only one that will mention God to me, really. She would come every year or every two years to visit with me and will tell me that if I continue living the life I was living in California uh, and I die like that, I will probably be condemned. And uh, that sounded really difficult every time my mother mentioned it, but I never did anything about it. I continue living this type of hedonistic life. And uh, in year 97, I had a very radical experience uh, that took place while I was visiting my family in Colombia during Christmas. And I was, uh, in Christmas Eve, I was abducted by the guerrillas, the FARC guerrillas of Colombia. They uh, kidnapped me as I was driving into a coffee ranch plantation of one of my uncles in the outskirts of the town where I was born. There's a town, like I said, up in the Andes Mountains. And I was taken um, prisoner to the jungle and put away in a cave 
for 15 days. Altogether, I was um, kidnapped for six months, but the first 15 days I was kept in a cave, tied up and with a hood over my head and being fed once a day only and in terrible conditions. And it was in that cave where I had a mystical experience with God that absolutely changed my life. And the, uh, the experience with God took place on the day 15. Uh, after I was sentenced to death, I had no hope to making, uh, of making it out alive from that cave, from the kidnapping. And uh, so I went through experience that I could call like the trial of my life before the Lord. Before that, I had like an illumination of my conscience where I was able to see my whole life and and realize who I was. Because all of those years, there were 33 years I lived in mortal sin, away from God, away from the church. I uh, never thought that I had left anything important when I left the Catholic Church and the teachings that I received. But then during this experience, I noticed how how terrifying it was what I did and the big mistake I made and and and, and I was almost sure that uh, what was happening at that moment was that I was dying and there was no returning and that made it even more difficult. So I, I was able to see my whole life and then after that is when I encountered this this incredible experience with the Lord that began with His voice talking to me and after a long time because I couldn't possibly measure it time-wise. It was like outside time, so to say, because it sounded like it was eternal. And he placed me in different states. One of them was the state of purgatory that I'm going to give you a little more details uh, later on um, in the show. I I will say that uh, this experience not only changed my life, but uh, also brought me back into the church in a way that I really began to appreciate something so incredibly important that I had abandoned and, and disregarded for so many years. Uh, I was miraculously uh, set free six months later, uh, even though I was sentenced to death. But uh, obviously this was a miracle, and I'm convinced of that, that they one day abandoned me on a road at night and, and with no explanation, and I was there... Uh, and walked for a long time, and I was picked up by a bus many hours later and taken back to civilization. And as soon as I recuperated a little physically, I went to confession and went back to California, to my home in California, Los Angeles, and I spent about two years where I didn't share with anybody my mystical experience. I was convinced that the Lord has given me has given me another chance, and I was to... Uh, to live my, you know, my old life and to be obedient to God. And uh, he gave me another chance. That was it. But that wasn't it. I, two years later, the Lord came back very clearly to me during the Holy Week and let me see that I had a mission. And uh, pretty soon I just left my artistic career and, and became a Catholic lay missionary with the Archdiocese of Bogota and uh, founded a mission called Pilgrims of Love that has uh, ecclesiastical approval there, and began traveling the world. And this is what I do now for 14 years already. Um, so, Roy, I, I think uh, uh, if you have anything to, 
to sure. come in sure. and respond. Um, first of all, I just want to reassure our listeners because I do want you to speak a little bit more about about your uh, mystical experiences and and your experience of purgatory and and perhaps of your experiences of souls in purgatory. So maybe it's a good opportunity for me to reassure our listeners that Marino uh, has the full approval of his local ordinary, of his local bishop, that he doesn't publish anything without an imprimatur, that he doesn't speak in any diocese without the bishop's express permission and so forth. So he is uh, fully within the, uh, you know, full approval of the church. And um, that uh, not not that one is compelled to believe him as a matter of faith, but he's certainly got as much of a uh, reason for be taken for being taken seriously as one can in the in the in the Catholic context. Uh, also, I happen to have been I'm very grateful to have been friends with him now for for six or seven years. So for whatever it's worth, I certainly vouch for him. Let me short circuit a little bit and say that I once had a great, rather strange and very pleasant experience. I was at a conference where Marino was speaking. It was held in, um, it was in Wales, in the United Kingdom. It was in a large hall, sort of a barn-like hall. And Marino started acting a little bit strange in the middle of his presentation. And I heard afterwards that that, in fact, had something to do with purgatory. So maybe, uh, maybe we can just jump to that event and you can explain what was going on there and what you saw. Yes, actually, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm speaking right from there because I'm here in North Wales at this moment and uh, I am uh, very close to the place where I gave that talk and in this conference hall, uh, which is like a barn. And uh, uh, there is a church here. It's a monastery. It's a Capuchin monastery. And there is a church, which is actually a parish of this little village called Pantasas. And there's a cemetery, which is very old. It's over 200 years old. So there are souls there that have been buried. People have been buried there for 200 years. And and, uh, so I had... A few experiences with souls here in this place, and among them that time when Roy was here and I was talking uh, about, um, I guess I was talking about spiritual warfare or something like that, and all of a sudden I felt the presence of many souls there, and some of them were related to this cemetery, obviously, and some of them I don't know if they were related to the people that were there attending the conference, but the fact is that it was really crowded all of a sudden. And and it wasn't like I was being attacked or anything like that because souls in purgatory are holy. They are peaceful and loving. And if they, if anything, they are the, the most incredible presence of support and, uh, and admiration and compassion for all of us. And it's like a, it's a complementary church. It's a suffering church. It's one of the churches of the three churches, as, as our our Catholic teachings uh, show us. Uh, then I saw this crowd. I knew something was happening. That I had to, I had to do something about it. I began praying while I was preaching, and there were doors on both sides, and it was kind of a little windy outside. All of a sudden, the both doors on both sides opened and closed really fast, and uh, obviously there was. <laughs> a little impact in the audience, and it was a little di- different, a little, uh, a, a lots of questions for people. 
but I had a very good experience because actually what we were doing there was really um, blessing people and benefiting uh, a lot of people in their inner um, conception of a spiritual warfare and eternal life and the transcendence. You see, we have the faith and we have the teachings of our faith and we get to understand them and to and, and to study them, but how much do we really uh, transcend with them into the reality of eternal life and the reality of the spiritual realm? And this is actually what was taking place there. It was like uh, the souls gave us the opportunity that everybody will feel that there was a supernatural event taking place and that there was going to be a lot of questions. And actually, those questions were going to be very important because the answers were going to confirm a lot of the things that probably the, a lot of them were feeling. And then, then this confirmation is a spiritual growth. And I guess that is a grace from God. So uh, I'm not sure I, I understood this at the time either, but let me ask two questions. Uh, the first question is, so did you sort of see these souls with the eyes of the spirit? And the second question is, were these souls being released from purgatory or were they just souls in purgatory that were making their presence felt? Um, it's not that I, I, I could say that I see it like when you see physically something, you know. It's something like a, an, a, an awareness of a presence because when the doors open and the, the, the wind just flew uh, through us and the doors were shut again, um, I, I could see like just through like, like the wind itself became like figures, forms of, 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 of these souls. And I, I could see them like that, but uh, it's almost like a, it's almost like a transparent, uh, a transparent, transparent person, you know, with a soul, I will describe it like that. And so were, were, were the souls just passing through or were they being released from purgatory as you were speaking? Or do no, you not know? I wouldn't know exactly, but I could say that it's almost as if we were, uh, it, united with an area of purgatory and souls that were there were related to what we were doing mm -hmm. somehow okay. we enter a realm of purgatory that was related to what was happening exactly at that moment among us you know what i was saying and everybody's life there you know was connected to that it was like a, a moment where the two states of the soul meet you know in okay. a mysterious way and, okay. and and the other part is I don't I know that because of what we were doing, they were being uh, benefited from that. It, it probably some souls could have been released, and some souls could have been um, aiding the, what we were doing, just helping us. Now, when in your experience in the uh, in the cave when you were kidnapped, uh, was that an experience of actually seeing purgatory? Uh, it, it ha that part of purgatory I could describe this way. I, I had been through um, like an illumination of my conscience when I appeared like face down against the grass on a pretty high mountain. And I had seen another mountain on top of that mountain. I saw like a city of light, um, which later on uh, is after lots of studies on this uh, experience, we came to the conclusion that it has to be like the Holy Jerusalem. And uh, I, I felt I didn't make it there because I was on the, on another mountain far away from that city of light. And then it's, 
is when the Lord spoke to me at length and then placed me in a lake. I was in a lake with the water up to my waist. And at that moment is when I realized I was in a purgatorial state. And this doesn't mean that that is the purgatory everybody will experience, because I have seen through the years of being a missionary uh, by... um, uh, by reading some of the doctors of the church, some of the mystics of the church, that they had different experiences of purgatory, and I can see how different it is in everybody's experience, you know. But in my case, I was in a lake with the water up to my waist. And then I noticed there was a gigantic rock in front of me. Um, there was not a sense of time and space, so therefore... That rock, I couldn't place it uh, related to space. Uh, all I can tell you is that I, I could see it, but the distance between the rock and the lake could easily be the distance between the moon and the earth. But at the same time, I was, it was totally accessible to me. I could see it. And I knew Jesus was in that rock, but I knew I could never stare at the rock because of the state of sin I was in. So I tried to escape in the water, and that is the moment when I realized I was in purgatory, because then I found myself standing in the midst of all of my sins of 33 years. That's how long I have been living in mortal sin, that I have never not been to confession all of those years, and every single sinful act of my life was alive. And those sins were spirits. And and I had a personal relationship with them, and my soul knew them all, which is very, very mysterious, because you will never imagine that every single act, every single sin that you commit is related spiritually with a person, with an actual spirit. And, and they said in a spiritual territory, so to say, every sin belongs to a dimension, so to say. And, and there is there are hierarchies that rule and, uh, and, and work on that territory of sin and make sure you stay there because when you die, you will enter that territory automatically if you're not rescued by God through His mercy or your repentance on whichever, uh, whichever areas it that rescue you. Anyways, I'm there and I realize I'm in purgatory. I know that that is a purgation state and I could see all of my sins. So, just to give you an idea what I began seeing, um, I was devastated because I could never describe the pain, the sorrow, and uh, the repentance. You know, you, you feel the state of purgatory is a state where you actually feel the pain of your sins, and which is something that we hardly experience uh, while we are in the flesh. You know, regardless of how good of a Catholic you are and how good of an act of contrition you have, um, you go to confession and, and you notice that you need to really make a big effort to feel the pain of the sins you are confessing. Uh, a lot of the times you don't even feel anything. And this is really difficult because you know you're missing something. And uh, God is the only one that gives you that grace, you know, because that is the way we have to experience uh, purgatory while we are in this life, because like Roy was saying in the introduction at the beginning of the of this show, that uh, we have to aim for heaven. We we cannot even think about uh, pretending to go to purgatory, because this is it's a very difficult state. So I'm there, and I could see 
by looking at any of the spirits that were there in the lake. Uh, when I say spirits were in the lake, uh, then again I tell you it wasn't like it wasn't like a place where spirits were. It's just that they were related to my life, and they appeared there because I was there. And it's, it's not that they belong to that lake. It's just that they belong in my life because I allowed them in my life. So they were in the dimension of the spirits of, of evil, the fallen spirits, and I was in the dimension of sin. Therefore, I was in their dimension. But as, at the same time, I was in the water, which ended up being a purifying water where the Lord is holding me in His mercy, and He is in that rock. So as I look at one of them, I could see the moment I was tempted, the moment I consented that temptation, the, uh, who, the full consequence of that sin after I committed it, uh, and how it had affected all my family, generations to come, the whole church. It, it was unbelievable, the dimension of sin. If we could only just fathom just the minimum of it, we will never we will be so aware of it that we will never dare to enter into sin. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, uh, I think maybe this would be a good time to take a short break, and we'll be back in two or three minutes. If you've joined us in the course of the last 20 minutes or so, this is Roy Shoman. I'm on Salvation is from the Jews on Radio Maria, the show that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith. And my guest today is Marino Restrepo, a friend of mine, a Catholic lay evangelist from, um, from Colombia who has had some rather profound, special, mystical-based knowledge of purgatory, which in fact is the theme of the show, Purgatory. Uh, we began with how purgatory is present in Jewish teaching, in Jewish theology predating Christ, and now we're talking with Marino about his uh, particular knowledge of purgatory, of the souls of purgatory, of the importance of praying for them. So we'll be back in a couple of moments for more with Marino Restrepo on Salvation is from the Jews. See you then. to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, welcome back to Salvation is from the Jews. I'm Roy Showman. 
This is the show on Radio Maria that talks about the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith. Today we're talking about purgatory, both purgatory in Judaism, even predating the days of Jesus. There was very strong Jewish teaching about the existence of an intermediate, intermediate state for souls after they died that who were on their way to heaven but still needed a period of purification, which belief has obviously been continued faithfully in the Catholic Church. And it perhaps doesn't have as um, central a focal point today as uh, it once had, and maybe as it should, because, in fact, many, 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 many souls, when they die, end up spending some time, perhaps a lot of time in purgatory, where they are very dependent on our prayers and sacrifices in order to complete their purification and make the transition to heaven. I know that um, should I end up there, and I have no reason to expect that um, by the grace of God I won't, I will certainly be very eager for all of the prayers possible. And um, that must be the case for millions upon millions upon millions of souls who are there now. Now, we are very blessed today to have on our program a guest, a friend of mine, Marino Restrepo, who has had some uh, rather profound mystical experiences that led him to a particularly deep knowledge of the state of purgatory and of the needs of the souls there. So let me welcome you back to the show, Marino. Yes, right. And um, uh, perhaps you could um, give us a little catechesis on why we should pray for the souls in purgatory and why they need our prayers, and maybe even what's in it for us when we pray for the souls in purgatory. Yes, this is a very important uh, point, you know, that you're making. Uh, we know that um, we, have, we have been taught in the church that uh, we are able to intercede for the souls in purgatory. And it's very important to know that it is a fact. Actually, part of the dogma of the existence of purgatory is also that we are able to intercede for them and they will be helped by our prayers. They will be benefited. They will be, they will get closer to the fullness of the glory of God. Because, you know, we have to remember that souls in purgatory are already saved. So they are in a state of salvation, only that they are not in the full state of the glory of God, but they are in a way. Uh, so when we pray for them, what we do is we are giving them the love of God that they are so much longing for. The reason why souls are in purgatory is because of all of the areas in their lives, on the on the earthly life, that they didn't fulfill with the love of God, meaning those were sinful areas. And uh, when we sin, we are lacking love, the love of God. And therefore, that leaves an empty space in your life. And that, when you die, you have to fill those empty spaces with the love of God. And that's why souls in purgatory have to mend their lives with the love of God, and they are not able to physically... Uh, meant anything they did because they are no longer in the flesh. So they cannot help themselves. So when we do that for them, we pray for them, what we do is we bring this love of God to the prayer because prayer is love, because the Spirit of God is the one that actually leads us into prayer. We will not be able to pray on our own. We are led by the Spirit. So when the Spirit comes and leads us into prayer, that means God is at work and it's God and self that is leading this fire of the prayer 
and it touches the soul in purgatory that is longing for that love, and that love pushes the soul closer to God. So it's an amazing aid, an amazing gift for the souls. At the same time, uh, while the soul is getting closer into God because of your prayer, you are actually doing the same. You are actually getting deeper into God by doing this for that soul, meaning you are also getting into this blessing that the soul is receiving. It's, it's a mutual blessing, and it's so amazing because it's known as the communion of saints. It's a unity in the mystical body of Christ. So prayers for the souls are very, very important. We can see lots of testimonies. Uh, one of them I can give you that is very famous is from the from the little shepherds in Fatima. They, if you recall the story, and in case you don't know the story, I recommend you to read it because it's one of the most important stories that we have in the Catholic Church related to Our Lady, the Virgin Mary, and the mercy of God for the church and the, the and the sinners. Because as we know, God is looking for the sinners and, and, and trying to save all of us. So Our Lady answered a question that the shepherds asked her about friends of them that were dead, you know, and they wanted to know what happened to them. So she she mentioned that one of them was in purgatory and was going to be in purgatory until the end of time, which was a devastating answer. Uh, the good news was that that person was saved, but the other bad news was that it was going to be in purgatory for so long. But there was something very interesting there because Our Lady told them that if they pray for the souls in purgatory, they will be released earlier. So, in, in other words, she gave them the, the way of getting the friend out of purgatory. And you, you bet they were on their knees praying for that friend, for, and, and, and they for sure got, it, got that friend out of purgatory pretty fast. So this is one of the most powerful testimonies of purgatory of uh, a recent uh, history of the church, you know, and there are so many. I, I, the book I just wrote is just about that, about testimonies of, of, of these experiences of purgatory in different, many different ways to the saints and the doctors of the church and, and all the uh, councils, uh, why the church believes that. And like, like Roy was mentioning, it comes from Judaism also, it's confirmed in the Old Testament. Uh, so it's a very uh, strong fact. And uh, so prayers are very important for the souls. And if you are listening to us today and you have uh, a real sense of, uh, of Catholicism in the sense of, of understanding how important is the mystical part of our faith, just pray for them now. Just, give, just pray, uh, our Father, Hail Mary, and glory be for the souls. And that will, that will make this show. That will be enough. You know, that will be great, a great gift. Amen. Amen. Um, now, are, I know that there, is, uh, there may be some special ways of praying for the souls in purgatory. Maybe you could tell us something about uh, the use of indulgences and, you know, the forms of prayer that uh, produce indulgences for souls in purgatory. Yes. Uh, we are, as we know, we Catholics are going to the year of faith, and it's going all the way through October. And uh, because of that, the, the Vatican, the Pope, has given us uh, plenary indulgences that we can uh, ask for them every day, once a day. Uh, so if you go to Mass uh, 
and you bring the name of a soul that you know departed, or you just simply um, present the, the intentions for the most needed soul in purgatory, the Lord knows who, who's, whose soul is that, and you offer the plenary indulgences for that soul, that will be an incredible gift for that soul. Even, I don't know, maybe many of you know about the Divine Mercy Diary of St. Faustina. In that diary, Jesus is telling St. Faustina to tell us that we should use the plenary indulgences for the souls. We should use them all. Because sometimes we get plenary indulgences just by assisting a sacramental mass where they are ordaining a priest or a deacon or baptizing a child or, or, or marrying a couple or... All of these sacraments are, give you plenary indulgences. Obviously, there are conditions to win, to get the plenary indulgences. You have to go to confession, you have to take communion, and then you have to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, which is an Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory be, for the intentions of the Holy Father, and that will make it for the uh, plenary indulgences. There are novenas for the souls in purgatory, you know, for the for the purgatory of souls. Uh, there are many novenas. There are lots of websites that deal with purgatory of souls and they have all kinds of devotions. I personally pray the rosary for the souls. And uh, there is another uh, prayer very powerful. It's called Requiem. Requiem for the souls. It's a beautiful prayer. Uh, and you pray with the rosary. And, and so all of these prayers are, are very, very powerful. And you feel... You feel, when you pray for the souls, you feel something is taking place, very powerful. And, and, and you feel the, the company, because they become very close to you. And if, you, yeah. if, if they make it to heaven, imagine. <clears throat> my, my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that although the souls in purgatory can't help themselves, they can help us, right? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. If, they, they have a lot of pull in heaven for us because they are suffering. They are going through enormous suffering. And so that's why they are hurt in, in, in heaven. Their intercession is very powerful. You mentioned, yes. um, you mentioned uh, indulgences. I know that uh, the Holy Father introduces special indulgences at special times. I know that there were indulgences for the Jubilee year. I know that there are special indulgences for the year of faith and so forth. Um, there are also sort of um, day in and day out ways that one can gain a plenary indulgence and, and give it to souls in purgatory. Plenary just means full, meaning that it's got the potential to fully remit uh, make atonement for the sins of the soul in purgatory and release them. And the two easiest ways that I know of to gain a plenary indulgence is um, given the conditions that Marino mentioned, that is of uh, going to mass, uh, excuse me, going to confession, I think within a week before or after saying the prayers for the Holy Father and so forth, are either doing the stations of the cross in conjunction with those, I believe, uh, gain a plenary indulgence, and also the public recitation of the rosary um, with prayers for the Pope and so forth, gain a, a plenary indulgence. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish, right? So I'm always looking for angles, trying to get the best return on investment, trying to, you know, kind of multiply, multiply things. And it seems to me that making friends of souls in purgatory, doing things for the souls in purgatory, and then having them turn around and do things for us or intercede for us, 
you know, is a tremendous return on investment. It is. It is a tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to get too too uh, venal there, but um, uh, you know, I, I you know sometimes, as a matter of fact, as a Jew in the church, I'm always struck by you know how can Catholics not be taking advantage of of what's what's freely available is it's I mean you know the 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 grace and the benefits that you get from the sacraments it's like if somebody said you know I'll give you ten ten thousand dollars if you you know say these prayers for twenty minutes I think most people would say it's a deal you know I'm happy to say those prayers for twenty minutes and get the ten thousand dollars and in fact if we say a rosary we're getting a lot more than ten thousand dollars I mean it just doesn't make sense to turn your back on the freely given uh, riches that God is dying to give us through the gifts of the Catholic Church. Anyway, that was all a little bit of an aside. We don't have all that much time uh, left, Marino, and I, I just I don't know the answer to this question. I'm not begging an answer. But do you have any um, particular knowledge, special knowledge of either heaven or hell also? Yes. Uh, I, I had, uh, at the beginning of my mystical experience, uh, after I had the illumination of conscience, I appear face down against the grass in what ended up being a pretty high mountain in an amazing silence, a silence I have never experienced before. And there I began to um, to notice that something was taking place that was very big. And then I began hearing the voice of the Lord speak to me. When I heard his voice, his voice was so incredibly loving and compassionate and forgiving that I couldn't stand it. I couldn't bear with it. I, I just wanted that voice to silence, not to speak to me. And I rejected the Lord. This is something hard to believe, but I did because that's how darkened I was from sin and how hard my heart was. I, I couldn't relate to love. And even though I thought I was the greatest guy in town, you know, but then I'm talking about when I was in that spiritual realm, I realized I had no love. And then I rejected the Lord's voice. And then when I did that, everything disappeared. The mountains, the city of light that I described before, his voice vanished. And I was floating on top of a terrifying abyss. It was, uh, as I looked down, I could see like an ocean of fog, like dirty fog, like 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 pollution looks like, you know, and and I began to sink in it. And once I was inside, I noticed that it wasn't fog. Uh, every single particle of that that appeared to be fog at first was a condemned soul. And I found myself in in this uh, state of condemnation and, and realized that I belonged there. You know, my soul was was so dark and separated from the love of God. And on top of that, I rejected the Lord. I turned the Lord down. So there was no other place... There was no other state for me to be in than that uh, or separate, total separation of the love of God. And I began to experience this experience of hell. And uh, this obviously will take us hours you know, and days to describe what I went through. I never thought I was going to come out of there. And uh, a lot of saints have uh, testified of experiences they had in, in hell. They were taken by the angel, like St. Teresa of Avila and many others. 
um, even Saint Faustina. But in my case, it's not the story of a saint. Uh, I was there because I belonged there. It's a very different experience. So I was like a condemned soul. But obviously, the Lord had a big plan with my life. And uh, though I could have ended up there if if, we, if it wouldn't be because of the mercy of God, still this was part of a teaching and a part a part of a, of a vision that the Lord allowed in my life to do what I do today, and that's what I understand, you know. Amen. Wow. Very tremendous gift, but a gift that you've certainly lived up to. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left. How can people uh, get a written copy of your witness testimony if they want to get your witness testimony book or, or maybe CDs or find out where you're speaking or find out about your new book on purgatory and so forth? What, where can they turn? Okay, uh, to start, I, I have uh, a YouTube page uh, under my name. Or, or you can see yeah, my name is enough. And you can go into YouTube, and there are over 200 videos of different talks of mine. Among well, them, maybe some people just tuned in late to give your name again. Okay, it's Marino, M-A-R-I-N-O, Restrepo, R-E-S-T-R-E-P-O. And uh, for my website, is marinorestrepo.com. And for YouTube, it's just my name, Marino Restrepo, and you find a lot of talks there. And also, you find uh, ebook. Uh, ebook in all the, the regular stores like iTunes and and Barnes and Nobles and all of these companies in 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 the web you can find ebook. Just put my name and you will see all the themes, all the different books that are available. And through my website you can order books or or CDs or DVDs on different talks. And your website is www.marino Restrepo.com. That's A M A R I N O R E S T R E P O dot com. And uh, can they also find out where you, if you might be speaking somewhere, where they can get to on your website? Yes, yes, they could. Yeah, we have Great. Polis, Yes. Well, gee, I, I I know this was a wonderful experience for me and uh, very sobering. I think that if we really understood the stakes. Uh, that we're playing for both the upside and the downside, we would look at our day-to-day life very differently and be filled with um, infinite gratitude for the potential that God has given us to make of our lives and perhaps a healthy dose of fear also for uh, what the worst-case scenario might be. I hope, Marino, that you'll come back uh, soon, maybe, and um, and maybe give us a catechesis on on either a happier subject, heaven, or a less happy subject, hell. And uh, I want to thank you very much for coming today. I want to thank our audience for being with us. Uh, I hope it was nearly as, as edifying for you as it was for me. I don't know, Marino, if you have any, any last word for our listeners? No, Roddy, I thank you very much for the invitation. I'm, I'm really delighted to be able to speak about this, and I'm sure you are. And we thank God for this, and we thank all the listeners and we ask you to pray for the souls, and for sure this is going to be good enough for our for this show of yours if if they pray a rosary, a rosary today. As a matter of fact, Marino, let's go off the show, go out of the show by praying together a Hail Mary for the souls in purgatory, and maybe our listeners will join us, and who knows, it may spring a few souls, okay? Extraordinary, yes. Okay. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this week on Salvation is from the Jews. And please tune in next week for our next show. Thank you and goodbye for now. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman.